This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. It is very sad to say that most of our precious rare collection is no longer ours. So, you know, you have like a British museum, Royal Aesthetic Society, they've been like acquiring yeah. a lot of manuscript and we have some rich fellas from overseas. So, as long as there's a manuscript, 17th century, they make money out of it. Yeah, But it's really yeah. sad. And I think the institutions, I maybe libraries, National Archive Centre, yeah. somehow try to, you know, lobby for more power. Maybe they can acquire more collection yeah. so we can put it in our library. And if we have like this kind of a pressure library, I would say that people are going to go there and see that in the 17th century, this is our manuscript, that this yeah. is a part of our heritage, this is a part of ours. BFM 89.9, you're listening to me, Ahmad Fawad Rahman, on Night School, the show that explores concepts, theory and society. This week, we are talking about a reading merdeka, or rather, more broadly, the culture of reading and book collecting, especially when it comes to books about Malaysia, right? So, I guess in approaching this topic, we're thinking of merdeka in a very broad sense, right? Uh, not just about the you know, 31st of August, Uh, about you know getting the British out of here and all that, but the notion of nation building more broadly and what it means to understand Malaysia. Joining us this week are uh, firstly to my right is Mamat Nazrin of Bukuku. Yeah, you're a bookseller. I love your collection, by the way. I follow your Instagram. Thank you. To find out uh, your latest acquisitions, and I must say, uh, it's the rare book business that actually knows books you know and I think it's something you should be proud of you know because a lot of times in Malaysia people just have books but when you ask them to explain their catalogue or you know why they have certain books not many people can do that but that's why I mean you're unique in that sense so welcome back to the show Nazrin yeah thank you we also have Amir Alhelmi you are a book collector uh, yep Known for very interesting collection of books on Malaysian history, right? So, again, in conjunction with Merdeka, I guess, you know, the question here is what sorts of knowledge do we have to better understand Malaysian nation building? And, you know, I think more interestingly, the challenges of acquiring the books needed for that knowledge. So, before we get into our recommendations, I'm sure we have a lot. Let's talk a little bit about that. Like, how difficult is it? You know, let's just start with a general question. To get books about Malaysia, you know, because that's the ironic thing. When you go into Kunukinia, right, and this is every Malaysian book lover's sort of experience, you go to Kino. But I would say only 20% of the books in there are actually about Malaysia, right? Then what is the discourse about, right? So anyway, let's let's get to the basics and tell us a bit about your experience collecting and acquiring books about Malaysia. Yeah, the issue of getting books or acquiring books regarding Malaysia, especially on history, is, from my personal experience, is quite tough. Mm -hmm. And in fact, as you mentioned before, to find someone like Nazrin, Google Press, <laughs> and a few other individuals who, who actually sell books like about Malaysia is... It's almost like getting a jackpot or it is almost yeah. like a book yeah. hunting by itself. Yeah. It's not, it does not necessarily related to rare books per Correct. se, Correct. but it becomes rare 
yeah. probably because of the demand itself from right, right. Malaysians among us who don't really read. Right, right. So probably for booksellers, for bookshops, when there is no demand, there is no incentive for them to put a lot of book about Malaysia collections right. about Malaysia in mm-hmm. general, either on history or economics or politics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me as a bookseller, so what I can see, especially in Malaysia, it's quite difficult to find uh, backdated research or any sort of work on the Malaysian history. Mm-hmm. Even when you go to some big libraries, like the National Libraries, the collection is not really that complete. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I maybe I can just shed light a bit on how I started Bukuku Press and how I started to acquire this kind of what we call as a Malaysian collections. So basically, you, I mean, the process of searching book is not easy. Sometimes I have to like get in touch with some of the antiquarian bookshops in the UK right. or elsewhere in overseas and it offers a very, very expensive price. Mm-hmm. So you know, if you, for example, if you want to get the first editions of books on communism in Malaya written by some scholars, it might cost you almost 100 USD. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, I can see from the point of a book selling activities that I've been part of, I see that there's a number of growing demand mm-hmm. toward the Malaysian people. So they would, like now, they were starting to collect and, you know, they ask us if I can get like this first edition of books. Mm-hmm. And I would see that there's a growing demand of it. And at the end of the day, it's all about how we as a Malaysian, we want to know, we want to trace back our history. Yep. But there's a, I would say, a very limited materials Even in the libraries, you cannot find like yeah. all these rare books. And that's how I started. Yeah, Tell us a bit then about the process. I mean, you talked about going online, yeah. looking for titles. But you said the problem with that is that it's costly. Even if the book isn't expensive, you're paying for shipping. Yeah. And the problem with paying for shipping is that it's not always reliable. It might yeah. get lost in yeah. the mail and all that. It's frustrating, right? Yeah. So let's say if you don't do that, like where mm. do you go? Do you go to junk books? Do you go to like Chaurasta? I mean, what's been your experience in trying to physically get those books or trying to like search for it well even for, like for me one is we are talking about rare books collector is one thing but even for common readers to get as simple as even sejarah melayu right, a book right. i mean i think that one is quite common yeah. it's quite easy to acquire but other than that even kasim ahmad's book or some other scholars book I like for me sometimes I even have to go straight to Dewan Bahasa right, right. building to get DPP's books yes. which even in Kinokunia is very hard to find yeah. some even significant books or great literary works you can't even find in in the city centre mm-hmm. and let alone those who live outside of Kuala Lumpur right, right. Like, think about like how you acquire books like if you live away from the city centre and then other than that The way I acquire books is, yeah, I used to study in UK. So back when I was in London, that's when I I went as Nazrin said. Like I I went to each bookshop and asked the bookseller if they have any collections on Southeast Asia, right, right, in general. And sometimes I get some yeah. like rare or antiquarian books that sometimes I can get with a good price. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, other than that, I would say. It takes a lot of effort. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, we shouldn't just limit our discussion to history books, academic books. Even literature is hard to find. Like Ranjau Sepanjang Jalan, right? Ah, If you just yeah. go to a bookstore and ask mm-hmm. for that, even yeah. a Malay bookstore, Bangi, you might not find it, <laughs> nope. right? So it's not necessarily just like the Oxford Press kinds mm. of books or yeah. the Yale Press kinds of books, but even basic, 
you know, classics of Malay literature is not easy to find, right? So I think um, I want to put like a bit emphasis on the national institutions, especially the Institute Terjemahan Negara, the National Translation Center, and as well as Dewan Bahasa dan Pustaka. Because first of all, if you go to major bookstore, you can find that there's a collection of a Penguin Classics, yes. Pelican Classic, where they sort of continuously reprint major important work in their, let's say for example, in the history of the European civilization. So you go elsewhere in the world, whenever there's a bookshop, you can just easily find the Penguins, like the Penguin Classics right. publication. So I would like to throw an idea to uh, the institutions. Maybe they can have started to have like a classics mm. reprint so all of us so people would somehow can continuously maybe you can get like hikayat hang tua you know elsewhere in the world you where you go to UK or you go you go to America you can get like oh this is our old Malaysian classics mm. we have like the hikayat sang kancil this kind of sort of most of the book also was acquired by the recollection of book so it yeah, just so, like so hikayat hang tua is also hard to find uh, for the first edition it is very difficult see, and I it see. is very expensive uh, yeah. okay okay So typically, the ones you find are the shortened versions and all that. Yes, right? I see. I see. Yeah. So it's hard not to compare our situation with Indonesia. Yeah. Right, where they speak the same language. You know, uh, in fact, they they're less reliant on English. Yeah. But they have such a vibrant reading culture. Yeah. So tell us a bit about the comparison. Right. Do you think it's a fair comparison? Do you think it's an unfair comparison? Either way, what is it that's different about their intellectual culture than ours? Thank you for a great question because I think it is related to our discussion today where we want to relate the idea or the spirit of Merdeka and books. So when we go to Indonesia, we can see that there's a strong sense of national pride of their heritage, their literary heritage. You can go and ask the locals about Pramodia Anantatur yes. so they know this is a big author in Indonesia. Mm-hmm. So that is the difference. When you go to Indonesia, you can... Easily somehow get there's a many version different publishing houses you know keep on publishing book on their classical author because they have a f- strong feelings about being an Indonesian. It's not only because of we are Indonesian, but we have like this kind of gem, uh, spiritual gem of our our you know our literary work. Mm-hmm. So as compared to Malaysia, although we somehow we have access on. English book and most Malaysians they do read English books but I can somehow it's a bit I would say disappointing to see that Malaysians they would no longer interested to read Kasim Ahmad work on Hikayat Hang Tua mm-hmm. so if you go even to the universities you go to you know to the to the mall you, it's very difficult mm-hmm. to acquire the Hikayat Hang Tua mm-hmm. so that is the problem I think when it relates back to the idea of Merdeka first of all we as a Malaysian we need to be proud In a sense that we somehow we have a very rich heritage, we have a very good authors, uh, we have a very uh, somehow I would say a very rich history. Mm-hmm. So maybe that would be like a starting point for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in comparison with Indonesia, I think one way probably to see another perspective is probably because of the market volume as well. Right. Like Malaysia relative to Indonesia, we are much smaller and. On top of that, we are not known as a reading society, society that reads, so that makes the market smaller. Mm-hmm. Hence, the demand for the books is not that yeah. big. And the problem with, if I can say, distribution of the books, most of the books are published and printed by certain institutions and somehow 
the distribution is is not that good mm-hmm. and plus yeah uh, the intellectual environment between Indonesia and Malaysia somehow from my personal take you can see the difference between even the writings right. in Indonesia the young writers the writing is more deep it's more in depth more intellectually challenging compared to Malaysian in general yeah but i would question that though in that Malaysians do read i mean especially in the past 2 3 years people talk about the indie movement so to speak right and they you know if you look at the so called indie scene there are a lot of critical works right mm-hmm. but they may not be classics necessarily they are younger authors from this generation right so it could be that the current batch of readers in malaysia they cannot maybe relate to the old historical books necessarily you know i mean i don't know because on one hand you're right to say that maybe our reading culture is not as vibrant as indonesia mm. but on the other hand you do see you know more book festivals around you know mm. uh you do see that there is a general interest to say question things you know but somehow it hasn't translated to appreciating the tradition so they like more contemporary things maybe right so how do you explain that then the fact that there are younger readers now the fact that you know do book press is doing well the fact that tukul cetak is doing well for example right so doesn't that signal that there is a reading culture well i'm not sure if i can see they are either they are doing well they sell well in terms of marketing i think it gives a fresh fresh ideas or fresh activities and it gives you certain hope that yeah we actually there are still people who who can write good good writings who can produce good literary works and there are some demands for it is either is adequate or not that's mm-hmm. another thing but other than that we should applaud DBP Dewan Bahasa and Pustaka's effort i think a few years ago they republished all the classics like Putra Gunung Tahan and Pak Sakos work and then Anak Mat Lila Gila I think that there is one special mm-hmm. collection and at very affordable price mm-hmm. which it should be distributed yeah. in a better way right, for right. people I mean I found it only in Dewan Bahasa Pustaka right. and during right. Pesta Buku that's right. what it so on one hand you see these efforts yep. that, that are being made to keep the literary tradition alive but somehow the implementation is ineffective right yeah that yeah. is one but other than that is the idea of literary works we have to appreciate that literary works is not just books it's mm-hmm. actually to a certain extent in fact the big extent is part of our identity is mm-hmm. our language mm-hmm. is a medium of our language and the writings actually portray our sense of identity yeah our yeah. current thought during that time the uh, what's our our interest our society's interest mm-hmm. during that time yeah either mostly writing about politics writing about economics right. either the writings just mostly on love fiction purely on love and nothing much no vision or whatsoever right. or sometimes during certain time you can have great literature work right right yeah my take is by approaching merdeka i think in just like a few days so what 
I see is basically we need to read more Malaysian classics because of I would say that there's a lot of old books that we may not be aware of especially on this kind of hikayat. So whenever I would strongly urge the readers when they started to read Malaysian classics so they would somehow feel a bit you know, somehow they will have like belongings to this nation mm-hmm. how it was built how it was constructed and right. they got the idea of you know, I would somehow appreciate more the meaning of Merdeka by reading a sort of Malaysian classic. It's not that we somehow we don't want to read like the more contemporary work. Right. But the classical right. is somehow more related to our identity right. and how we somehow become Malaysia today, how we are as a Malaysian, right. so how we mingle together, how we come up together, unite together. It's through books. Right. Right. So I always got the idea of, you know, actually book can be like a uniting factor for Malaysians because we always talk about, you know, we Malaysian, we all, we eat nasi lemak, we eat all this, uh, you know, we have teh tarik, that, that somehow defines us as a Malaysian. Mm-hmm. But what about books? We have a Malay literary classics, we have a lot of Chinese literary classics being uh, written in Malaysia. Why don't we somehow, we read it and we understand, okay, this is actually the process of nation building started with book, with right. our great literary work. So I think that's an interesting point in understanding the importance of books or discourse for nation building in that you need a picture of a tradition. And while you do see some encouraging developments today where youths are being more interested in reading and critical discourse, there lacks a broader picture of the discursive tradition overall, right? So it seems that while we can enjoy contemporary writing, situating it within a longer, say, history of writing may enrich the experience, right? So we're not just taking things piecemeal, but we have a bigger picture to appreciate. Yeah, I mean, that's why uh, in Indonesia, they can compare Eka Kurniawan with Pramodia, right? And there's a continuity, right, in the sort of the criticality they bring, right? So they're not just two interesting writers, but there is a broader discourse that unites them together, right? That is Indonesia, right? In any case, let's take a break. We are here with Ami Al-Helmi, uh, a book collector, and Muhammad Nazrin of Bukuku. He is a bookseller. You can find him on Instagram. But we are talking about Merdeka in light of our interesting book collecting culture. I'm Ahmad Farahma, and this is Night School on BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, I'm Ahmad Farahmat, joined this week by Amir Al-Helmi, a book collector, and Muhammad Nazrin, a bookseller with Bukuku. He has a store on Instagram, which you should check out. We are talking about our literary tradition, more broadly in the context of book collecting, of, of knowledge building in light of the coming Merdeka, where, you know, we are supposed to reflect on our nation building journey so far, right? And in the first part of the show, we talk about how difficult it is to get Malaysian classics despite there being a vibrant book selling, a book buying culture, right? So how is it that there is this contemporary development of buying books, but somehow it's so hard to get the classics, right? So there's a bit of that gap that raises some interesting questions. So I want to get into more particulars here. Maybe both of you can start telling me a bit about some of the highlights in your collection. Like, what would you say are the things you're most proud of to have? And how did you find them and, and why? Okay, maybe I should start of having this one book. I think it was written in 1904. Oh, okay. Uh, it's quite old, so almost 100 years, more than 100 years. So basically, the book is about, you know, the sketches of Malay. Yeah, the, yeah. The Malay sketches. Frank Swettenham, yes, is it? Yes, yeah, yeah. 
So you know the depiction uh, when I read the book, so I can find that there's a depictions uh, the typical colonial uh, descriptions that of must a millionaire. Must have been the first edition, yeah. 1904, yes, right? Okay, yes. okay. That would be one of the, my precious. And collections. you bought that online. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I stole it from overseas, but when I wrote the book, first of all, when even I touched the book, so I feel like something. Oh, this is 100 years old book. Yeah. So. Are the grammar? Is, yes. <laughs> uh, but but the point is, uh, you can see that you know all these colonials officers that were somehow operated in Malaya during that time. They have a bitter description of the Malays. Right, right. It's a very stereotyping kind of, you know, Malays are lazy, Malays are, and this kind of narrative it somehow embedded even until now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Even we somehow sometimes we meet people. They say, okay, you know why Malays uh, not progressing because they are lazy. So it's basically somehow the description is somehow related to the earlier Frank Sinatra mm-hmm. ideas on Malays. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So when I started to acquire this kind of rare book, I somehow. Would find that there's a continuity in you know the narrative of understanding the society, right, right, even until now. Mm-hmm. So that is the problem. So when we manage to get these ideas, and then we try to compare with other researchers, mm-hmm. so doesn't mean that if you are Frank Swettenham, your description is really is right. Yes, of course, of course. Yeah, sometimes it is. I would say is a bit. Diregotri. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so that is the thing because when I try to somehow relate with my ancestor, with my you know genealogy, places with my family tradition, I couldn't somehow find what the description of Frank Swettenham towards the Malays. Right. 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 So this is I would say the important of you know having all this Malay classics work because right, we actually right. we can relate whether it is true or is it just like yeah yeah you know. Yeah, I know what you mean. You're inhabiting a certain worldview, yes. right? and then you see the limitations of that worldview, yeah. right? And then you understand the colonial project better. Yes, right? and that's the interesting part in that a lot of these uh, residences back then, yeah. they were colonizers too, right? They were actually trying to document quote unquote local ways of life and trying to see the sort of advantages they can have or not, right? And to be able to read that. It's actually a very interesting historical experience, right? So you're reading not just for knowledge, but you kind of inhabit that perspective over a hundred years ago, right? Yeah. One book that I can think of from out of my mind is maybe one the Pantun collection by an English guy, I think Arrow Winstead. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And funny enough, I acquired in London. Right. Right. Found it somewhere at Charing Cross Road. You have a lot of secondhand bookshops there. So somehow I found it and I find it interesting first of course like an English guy who is interested in in Malay poetry yeah if I may use it and then the spelling of it uh, I'm not sure when it was published mm-hmm. I think early 20th century and other than that I have another book that again acquired in London in Portobello market mm-hmm. it's actually a, like the title I think the title is fairy tale of Mount Kinabalu It's just a simple story of a princess from Mount Kinabalu, but then it doesn't have any information of when it was published or where it was published. Right. But it has graphics, and the graphics was actually painted by watercolor. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I think probably there's like one of my, the one that I I'm proud of. Right, right, right. That I always tell my anyone like my friends who visited my libraries. Yeah. But then yeah, the thing is I don't know where it came from. Yeah, yeah. Well, the challenge I would have to the description you guys gave is that it's not necessarily profitable to reprint those books, right? So I think this is part of the problem, right? In that mm-hmm. these are interesting books, mm-hmm. but 
they're nice for collectors, right? It's not necessarily something a shop would stock because mm. who would buy it, right? I think it depends. Sometimes it can be the story can be very interesting that because people don't know it. If there is one book, I I visited this one antiquarian exhibition in London. It's written by a special branch, an English special branch, who worked in in Malaya in early 20th century, talking about secret societies mm-hmm. in Malaya. It's not Leon Comber, is it? Uh, I, I can't remember. Oh, okay, okay. The, the only thing I remember is the price. It's ah. like £800, <laughs> <laughs> and I can't afford it. Right, right. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I think it, it will be very interesting when people talk about secret societies, how the especially the immigrants who yeah. came to Malaya and they get together and and they actually joined secret societies either to climb the social ladder yeah. or to get economic benefits out mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we talk about it, sometimes people make Facebook posts about it, but there is this one English special branch guy who documented it. And probably if we can find it and republish it, it might be a top hit. Yeah. Who now, the, the other problem too is that this shows how bad our libraries are in a sense, right? Because like you said, you go into the library, you expect to have these sorts of books around and accessible, but there's a problem in that you can't find them, right? And you have to go all the way to London to find them. So what are your thoughts on how the libraries are limited or failing here? Okay, first of all, I would say that Malaysia is actually left behind. Uh, we have Singapore who is ahead of us. Yeah. So if I'm not mistaken, last year, early last year, Singapore had this one exhibition on the Malay early work in the National Library of Singapore. I went there. It was like so fascinating. They managed to acquire the first edition of Hikayat Abdullah and then they saw mm-hmm. a lot of like 17th, 16th century of the Quran manuscript or right, the Malay right. manuscript. Even I remember there was one manuscript about how to cook biryani in 17th centuries, you know? Yeah, yeah. So you can see that actually we in this archipelago, actually we have a lot of heritage that somehow people might not be aware of. Mm-hmm. I think that is a problem. And about libraries in Malaysia, I would say that, okay, when you go to most public libraries, they always stock the new, the latest publication, the latest journal where you can actually find it elsewhere. Right, right. So there's no niche in having a library. So why do you need to go to library where everything is all online? You can just like go Google, what's the latest journal? So nobody somehow frequented or even used the libraries anymore because uh, most of the collection is not really that kind of precious collections. Mm -hmm. So I, I throw the suggestions to some of our friends in the government. So I think right now, national libraries or archives, so they need to be more proactive in acquiring manuscripts all mm-hmm. over the world. It is very sad to say that most of our precious rare collection is no longer ours. So you, know, you have like a British museum, Royal Aesthetic Society, they've been like acquiring yeah. a lot of manuscript and we have some rich fellas from overseas. So as long as there's a manuscript in the 17th century, they make money out of it. Yeah, but it's really yeah. sad. And I think the institutions, I maybe libraries, National Archive Centre, yeah. somehow try to, you know, lobby for more power. Maybe they can acquire more collection yeah. so we can put it in our library. And if we have like this kind of a pressure library, I would say that people are going to go there and see that in the 17th century, this is our manuscript, that this yeah. is a part of our heritage. This is a part of ours. I think that touches to our topic more directly, mm. right? In that our manuscripts are still being colonised. 
either yes. in Leiden or the British Library mm-hmm. or the British bookstores or Singapore, right? We have somehow not valued it enough to take them back, yeah. right? So it's actually a decolonization project waiting to happen, right? Because like you said, how can we enrich our discourse? How can we have a bigger picture of our literary development if all these manuscripts are just not around for us to study, right? To read or even see, right? And understand. I think mm-hmm. what you may concur with me is that part of the process is not reading the book but just finding it, right? Just being able to see it and you go, wow, mm-hmm. right? This thing exists and this thing is older than me, right? And that makes it a very curious process, right? You're going to go, okay, how did this end up here? What's this book about? Why would they want it? Why don't we have it, right? Yeah. And so I think you're right. It's not just the stories and the text, right? But how is it that something that's supposedly quote-unquote ours is somewhere else and we somehow don't care, you know? Yeah. And it, it's up to you people to spend your own money trying to get it, you know? So, yeah. Well, yeah, uh, mentioning about yeah decolonizing, there is a big discourse on decolonizing written works, especially back then when the Western scholars took right. our some of our, the manuscripts to their homeland. Well, it can be an ethical issue as well. It's either we should buy from them or they should return them back to us. <laughs> yeah. That's another. That's another topic. But I think if there's political will. Something can be done, can some be kind poli- of compromise, right? But yeah. there is no political will. But right it can now. be politically popular as well, yeah. uh, like anti-Western... Yeah. Or just independence, right? The mm. idea that we need to liberate our heritage, yep. right? And the first act of that would be to take them back here, right? Yeah. So, in any case, before we wrap up, what recommendations do you have for our listeners, you know, about when it comes to, like, books about Merdeka that they should... It doesn't have to be rare or whatever, but mm. based on because you're both very well read. So, what do you have in mind for people to look up? Okay, um, I would recommend five books because why? Wow. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> so just five, sure. just like a brief introduction. Okay. okay, the first one is the origin of Malay nationalism. Okay. It's a classic by the William R. Roth. Why I suggest people to read this book because. Roth did a very wonderful study about the emergence of nationalism in context of pre-independent periods where they have the religious leader, the bureaucrats, the Malay bureaucrats, and also mm, the left-wing people, I mean the trade unionists. So they are the ones who shaped the narratives of Merdeka before even the Merdeka existed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the number two, I would suggest the Merdeka much more. It was uh, published by, recently published by NUS Press by Professor Tregening. He was a former head of history department, University of Malaya. So he wrote a reflections about he was there during Merdeka, what really happened, mm-hmm. and the historical narrative of the Merdeka. And then the third one would be, this is quite contemporary, Young and Malay uh, by Refsa. So yeah. the book revolves around five Malaysians from younger generation. How do somehow they perplex the idea of being Malay? Aren't in they all the AP? I'm uh, not sure about that. Three of them at least. The uh, AP. Yeah. Anyway, go on. <laughs> You're not in them, are you? Yeah, no, I'm not. <laughs> but the narrative is very important right. because they try to bring the narrative of we Malay or even we as a Malaysian. What do we feel right. about, you know? I think it's a good read, yes, anyway. Yes. Contemporary the, account, yeah. right, yeah. And then the fourth one would be Kasim Ahmad work, Kisah Pelayanan Abdullah, but it's quite rare. Okay. It's really hard to find because Kasim Ahmad did the annotated versions I and see, uh, he also translated the Hikaya Abdullah. Because yeah. why, for me, why Kisah Pelayanan or Hikaya Abdullah is very important? Because that would be like the first Malay author, Abdullah Munshi. 
he went visited all the homeland and he gave a brief descriptions about the Malays and about the society during that right, time. Right. It would be like a good reflection for us for Merdeka. And then the last one would be the long-awaited right now book. It just published. Uh, Wang Gungwu, whom is not here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's a very good and a very important work because Wang Gungwu, as we know, is a is a great professor of history. And his narrative is about being Chinese in Malaysia. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. At first, he think that he did not belong to Malaysia, but being in love with Malaysia and he somehow fascinated with all this multicultural setting and he went and he fell in love with Malaya mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. Malaysia right now. I think that would be like my suggestion to read. Very, very interesting spread. Well, instead of five, I have two in my list. Sure. The first one is short stories, collection of short stories by Usman Awang. Turunnya sebuah bendera. Okay, okay. And basically, the short stories, the time setting was mostly during the time when Malaysians were fighting for independence. Mm-hmm. Mostly, this is about love stories, but the gist of it, the core stories of it are actually young Malaysians trying to do their parts in yeah. whatever ways they could, either by being teachers, writers, and yeah. Mm-hmm. And the second one is, the title is Untumu Anak Merdeka, written by A. Majid Saleh which I found in my father's library. Mm-hmm. It's quite an old one, but I think they republished it recently. It's by A. Majid Saleh, one of Abdul Majid Saleh, one of the leftist nationalists, our independent fighter, mm-hmm. which provide another perspective on the independence of Malaya mm-hmm. and Malaysia, which I find very interesting because... Yeah, this is in regards with the idea of rewriting right, our textbook, right. right? Where, if you remember, back in our school, when we learn about fighting for independence, we have the pre-World War II, right, pre-Japanese right. occupation and post-Japanese occupation. And somehow the players, the fighters who fight for our independence changed mm-hmm. for the pre-Japanese, like Harun Amin Rashid, yeah, right, right. Pak Sako, and then... Post-Japanese occupation, suddenly you have Tunku Abdul Rahman on Jafar. And then most people, in fact, back then, I didn't realize it. that Yeah, the question is, what happened to those people mm-hmm. in pre-World War II? What happened to them? Yeah. Were they just like keep quiet like, oh, like, yeah. we're tired of fighting for independence. Then we stop and let other people yeah. talk about it. So yeah, the questions of what happened to them created whole new stories and discussion mm-hmm. altogether. And A. Majid Saleh provided the stories that should be told. Yeah, I, I w- I'm going to look that up because it's very, very interesting. Um, I have two recommendations. The first is, and I, I recommend this reluctantly because I'm not generally not a fan of his, but I, I really enjoy this book. It's called The Invention of Politics, Expanding the Public Sphere in Colonial Malaya by Anthony Milner. It's just the notion of a public, right, of a common public that is so necessary for nation building, for a shared identity, right? How did that become constructed, right? How was it featured in the discourses of the left and the right, right? And this book is a masterful account of that. So that's one recommendation I have. And the other book I recommend is Bangsa Melayu. Malay Concepts of Democracy and Community mm-hmm. by Arifin Omar. Uh, again, really, and it's just republished as well mm-hmm. by Gerak Budaya. 
really masterful history as well. Great selection of sources and texts, you know, and that's one of the ways you can appreciate a good historian. Where does he turn to to find his narratives, right? And what's the big picture that he weaves out of that, right? And both of these will give you a good account of how Merdeka came to be. Anyway, we have a long list for our <laughs> listeners, so enjoy those, those books when you do pick them up. Let's hear about your social media. You are on Instagram, yeah. correct? You can find us in the Instagram, so under the Bukuku Press, or we also have Facebook account. So just feel free to you know give drop me a message and we can talk more about the list. Sure, sure. Yeah, on Facebook I'm under Amir Hilmi, and yeah, I I'm more than happy to meet new friends sure. and talk about books. I'm interested in not just our history books as well as in philosophy or even physics or science yeah. and mathematics in general. I came across this at some point, and maybe one of you can help clarify for me. Did Kasim Ahmad produce a translation of Aristotle? I'm not sure yet. Yeah, can you guys at some point look this out and maybe we can have you again for the the show to talk about that? Because I recall coming across, maybe in a citation or bibliography. Yeah, but I remember one thing that Ahmad Bustamam was translating the work of Arnold J. Toynbee on history. Ah, okay, okay, yeah. I I heard about that too. But Aristotle, which is not political at all, it's like metaphysics or something. And I saw the citation in Bahasa and then Kasim Ahmad was the the translator. So I'm just like, okay, I'll come back to this one day. But I can't remember where I read it now. (laughs) It's like, you know, it's jumbled up. But maybe when you're looking... So it's a published translation. It's a published translation. It probably wasn't republished and probably Mm. was, you know, only printed by maybe 200 copies or something, you know. And this was like in the 70s. So it probably like, you know, disappeared very soon after. So anyway, something to think about. Or if you're listening, you want to Google around for that. We appreciate it too. Thanks again, Amir Al-Halmi, Mohamed Nazrin, to talk to us about... Merdeka and the process of collecting books and knowledge about our history. This is Ahmad Fawad Rahma on Night School on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.